Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Redeeming Grace Church. It's good to be with you in person. I love the gathering of the church and grateful that we have the opportunity to do that. And I'm grateful for technology. For those of you at home, I know we're not gathering physically in person, but I'm grateful that we can still connect in some way around God's word, uh, even as we are distant from one another. And we look forward to having everybody back, Lord willing, soon. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Second John today, preaching through a whole book of the Bible this morning. But as you'll see, it's only, uh, it's only 13 verses. So we're going to dive in and Amanda is going to read our scripture for today. The second letter of John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, great is your name and greatly to be praised. God, we come before you in need of grace, in need of help, in need of wisdom. And God, we pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to receive your word today, not just for the sake of mere knowledge, but life change. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd help us to be attentive today. Help us to be attentive today so we could take what we learn and go out into the world to honor you in all things. And God, we pray that everything we do today and the days ahead would be for our good, but ultimately for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's a lot of things in, uh, in life that we have to consider along the way. Some are mundane and ordinary. Others are important and serious. And often things are considered serious because of the possible outcome or impact that they can have. For instance, taking a certain job or deciding on which school you're going to go to or if you're going to move to a particular place. Well, today, as we just heard, we're jumping into the letter of 2 John in our Life Together series. And it's a, a letter written to a particular church that, as we'll see, the Apostle John really cares a whole lot about. And John writes about various things, some of which we've already heard from 1 John. But the focus of his letter here is about a serious matter, being on guard against false teachers and teaching. He greets the church, he encourages them. But then he warns and exhorts them. Why? 
Well, because as we'll see, the consequences of being taken in by false ideas about what it means to know God, what it means to follow after Christ, what it means to be a Christian are serious. See, for John, this isn't just about having right theology. This is a matter of life and death. And because John loves this church and loves these people, he seeks both to encourage them and warn them so that they can stay anchored in truth. Anchored in truth in a world that is tossed to and fro with false teaching and false ideas about what it means to know and follow Jesus. What John says here is important for us to pay attention to as well. This letter was written a really long time ago, but its timelessness is timely for us today. You and I live in confusing times. There are a lot of messages and ideas swirling around both inside and outside of the church about what it means to truly know God, what it means, again, to be a Christian. And so like John, I also want us as a local church, as we seek to live life together, to be anchored in truth so that we are not subtly deceived and led astray either. That's my hope for us today. And like John, that's my desire for you because as one of the pastors of this church, I I love you and I care for you and I want us to stay focused on what it means to know Jesus and not be taken in by false ideas about our king and his kingdom, but to finish the race in faith and in faithfulness. So let's dive into 2 John this morning and may God bless the preaching of his word. As we've just heard read, this is a short letter, one of the shortest in the New Testament, only 13 verses long. And we'll walk through all of it, but I'm really going to focus in on verses 7 through 11. And to do that, I'm going to preach this text a little differently than a typical sermon. And the reason for that is in a hope that it will really allow us to, to heed what John is saying. John begins this letter as many New Testament letters begin with a greeting. He says, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Like most letters, we learn who the author is and who the recipients are. But John explains that in a little bit of a different way. He refers to himself as the elder. Now, this could have double reference to John being a leader in Jesus' church and of being a sage-like old man in the church, which both of those things are true. But who is the letter to? He says to the elect lady and her children. This isn't to a city council member or a congresswoman. John is writing in a metaphorical way to a local church and its members. And in this, he reminds them of what binds them together. Look at all of verses 1 through 3. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace Mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. What binds them, what binds us together? John says it's truth. Truth. When he says truth, he's talking about the truth of the gospel. The good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The perfect Son of God who came to live a perfect life of obedience here on this earth. And then went to a death on a cross, not for his sin, but for ours. Dying as a substitute in our place so that you and I could be reconciled to God. And then was raised up on the third day, ruling and reigning in heaven. One day to come again and make all things new. The truth is Jesus himself 
who came to us as one of us to rescue us, to make the Father known to us. That's the truth John's talking about. That's the truth that binds us together. And this superseding truth of the gospel unites us together and, John says, cultivates a love. A love from from him to this church and a love for all who believe and follow Jesus. See, the local church is essential, but it's never disconnected from the universal church that transcends time and culture. The gospel of grace is global good news. John starts his letter with this greeting of grace, but now he shares a reminder and an encouragement. Look at verses 4 through 6. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you would walk in it. Now a lot of what John says here, we heard in 1 John but it won't hurt to be reminded of it briefly again this morning because we can easily forget. It's of paramount importance to John that the life that flows out of being founded in the truth of the gospel, grounded in the truth of the gospel, of being a Christian is a life that's marked by our love for one another and our obedience to King Jesus. In verse 4, John says he rejoices. He rejoices because he's interacted at least with a few members of this local church. And what he sees in their life are those two things. A love for one another and an obedience to Jesus. He sees the effects of grace in their life. That they've been transformed and changed. They're holding fast to the truth of the gospel and its implications for their lives. In other words, what John says is, is he sees Christ in them. He's encouraged by that. He wants to encourage the church by sharing it with them. John sees that in this church, but he also wants to remind them and encourage them to continue in it. To keep loving one another as Christ loved them. To keep walking in obedience to his commands. Because of all of God's commands are for your good and for your joy. You know, walking is an important biblical word. It, it lets us know that the Christian life is not static or stagnant. It moves forward in this life as we seek to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ, to his conduct and his character. So John sees that in this church, but what about us? If people look at our lives, do they see Christ in us? Think about your, your boss, maybe, or a coworker, a spouse, a kid, a roommate, if someone observed your life as an individual or our life together, would they see evidences of grace, of transformation, of being grounded in truth? Not information, but new life in new living. I long for that to be the case in this community. And by God's grace, I see it in many ways. I see Christ in you. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. Doesn't mean we've figured it all out but we're making progress towards greater holiness and humility. May that continue to be true. Listen, we're all on a spiritual journey. And John wants to remind and encourage this local church that he's writing to and encourage us that we are on a spiritual journey with Jesus and to Jesus, seeking to walk the road that leads to life instead of death. See, verses four through six are a reminder 
that we never move on from the truth of the gospel. We never move past our call to belief and to love and obedience in our life together. In fact, we can't or we'll fall away. We'll fall away into false teaching, which leads John to give the main point of this letter a warning and an exhortation. Look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. John finishes this reminder and this encouragement in verse 6, but then notice that little, little word at the beginning of verse 7, 4. What he's saying in verse 7 is directly connected to walking in truth and in love. See, John wants them to stay grounded. He wants them to stay anchored in truth, not only in what they believe, but the implications of that for their lives and how they live with life with one another. Why? Because deceivers and false teachers have gone out. What it means by going out is, is they're not sitting, sitting idly by. They are, they are coming out to seek to influence those that say they follow Christ away from following Christ. They're doing so by denying, John says, that Jesus actually came to us as one of us to rescue us. See, at the core, it's a denial of Jesus being our Savior King. So John's saying, we wanna, I want to remind you to keep walking in truth and walking in love because I don't want you to be deceived by those that are trying to pull you away. Everything that they're teaching, these false teachers, is not only anti-gospel, it's anti-Christ. And its implications are serious. Look at verse 9. John says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both Father and the Son. To go on ahead is to move past or beyond the simple truth of the gospel. To go on or go past the teachings of Christ is to twist and change who we say Jesus is. To twist and change what it means to be a child of God. To twist and change what it means to be faithful and follow Christ in this life. But the reality is we don't progress beyond Jesus' teaching. We don't progress beyond the gospel. We don't ever set it aside. No, we progress in them and in the truth of the gospel as we become more and more like Jesus, seeking to follow him in all things. What this verse also does, though, is it widens the scope of who is a deceiver. See, anyone that moves beyond, anyone that doesn't stand with the teaching and ethics of our king and his kingdom are included. When a person does this, the outcome is disastrous. That person, John says, does not have God. But... When you and I remain anchored in truth, when we abide in the teachings of Jesus, we not only have the Father, we have the Son also. In other words, we have eternal life. I mean, think about what an anchor does. An anchor stabilizes, it, it grounds, it holds in place. And when is that most necessary? When there's a current that's seeking to pull a ship off where it needs to be. When there's winds and waves that are coming up and crashing over. See, we could read this letter and we could think, wow, that must have been really serious back then that there were these false teachers going around. 
But the reality is the same things have been going on for generations and generations and are going on even now, which means that you and I also need to be anchored in truth. Now, why is that? Why is there kind of this ongoing reality of false teachers and teaching? Well, we have to remember that the great deceiver has been deceiving the world and seeking to deceive God's people since the beginning. And he will use any means necessary to lead God's, God's people to question God, to question his character and his authority with a variation on the same question that he asked Eve. Did God really say? See, the deceiver doesn't always come hard at just complete false teaching takes a little bit of truth and mixes it with a little bit of error to deceive. He seeks to confuse and inject doubt in a variety of ways, all of which seek to keep people away from the truth or to lead them to become untethered from it. See, in our time, there are certainly those that are doing the same thing that John is talking about here, that are denying that Jesus came in the flesh, that are denying that Jesus is the true Son of God. But... There's also a lot of other often subtle false teaching going on. And it usually doesn't come from people outside of the church, but those within. Or at least those who were once a part of the church, as we saw in 1 John, but have now gone out from us. So I really want us to understand this and think about this in our current context and culture. So what I want to do is give you a few examples of some of those ways I see that in our culture right now. And then then we're going to talk about, so what do we do with that? Now, to do this, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I've come up with some fictional characters. Some fictional characters that illustrate these areas of, of subtle false teaching that can creep into the church or creep into our thinking. And so I'm going to walk through these in detail to help illustrate what this can look like with the hope that it'll help us to help each other stay anchored in truth. The first person we encounter is moralistic Martin. Martin, you've probably met this guy before. Martin has been around the church for a long time. He grew up learning all the Bible stories, singing all the songs. He believes in God, even fears him, but Martin lives a law-based life. He believes and communicates with others that what, uh, that what God really cares about at the end of the day is really just your good behavior. So Martin prides himself on how much of the Bible he reads every week, how spotless his attendance is in the gathering of the church, how much he serves and how much he gives, that he only listens to wholesome music and watches wholesome TV shows. See, Martin believes that as long as he's a good person, as long as he follows the rules, and he tells others this, including his own children, that he believes God will love him and accept him. Martin cares about his behavior, but isn't concerned so much about his heart. The problem with what moralistic Martin believes and teaches others is that Christ is absent. There's no real recognition of his sin, No recognition of his desperate need for saving grace that come only by, in, and through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that's exactly what the deceiver wants Martin to believe. See, Martin misses that we are reconciled to God because Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, obedience matters. We've just talked about that. But obedience is the outflow of a new life in Christ, not the way to new life. See, the subtlety of this false idea about self and God is that Martin looks like a good Christian. He's playing the part, 
but there's no real life in him. The next person is deconstructing Danielle. Danielle also grew up in the church, but she started listening to a podcast and following an Instagram account about people who used to call themselves Christians, but have now rejected Christ and are deconstructing. Danielle's intrigued. She's struggled with belief in a lot of ways for a long time, but kind of done so silently. And now she finds herself spending a lot of her time throughout the week listening to those voices and those teachers. She hasn't told anyone yet, but she would describe herself and say that she's deconstructing too. And she started sharing some of what she's learning from these podcasts and Instagram accounts with some of her friends in the church. Now let me be clear. When I say deconstructing, I don't mean wrestling with questions. I don't mean navigating doubt or struggling with real church hurt that has left you traumatized or upset. Unfortunately, that's part of our human experience in a broken world, even as Christ followers. And if that's you, if you have questions, if you're doubting, if you're experienced hurt, please don't struggle in isolation and silence. Let's engage. Let's talk through those questions and talk through that hurt. Maybe there are aspects of what you've believed or been taught that does, does actually need to be deconstructed or, or dismantled in some way because it's not true. Because it's not the intention of how Jesus calls you to live life or be a part of his people. But I want to do that so that you can experience and so that you can see true grace in the real and risen Jesus. When I'm talking about deconstructing, what I mean is, is the idea that truth is unknowable. So when truth is unknowable, what comes is, is a rejection of then the clear declared truths of the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. This may come out in subtle ways like, well, I'm, I'm only going to listen to what Jesus says, not what Paul says. Or, I mean, can we really know what Jesus is talking about? Can we really know what Paul meant when he wrote those words? Slowly, someone like Danielle, when we start to go down that road, begins to wander away from the gospel or outright reject the king and his kingdom. A person similar but slightly different than Danielle is progressive Preston. Preston also grew up in the church. He served in various capacities in youth group, the worship team. But Preston has started questioning the validity of the commands of Christ. See, the reality is Preston has strong temptations and desires that don't square with Jesus' teaching on life. And so he's begun to question whether he really needs to follow Jesus in everything. See, Preston's a little bit different because he doesn't want to walk away from faith. He doesn't want to walk away from God or walk away from Christ. He just wants it to be a little bit more convenient. So he started listening to a few sermons. He's reading a few blog posts that support this idea. This idea that he can create an a la carte faith where he can pick and choose what he listens to from Jesus and from the apostles and what he rejects as outdated thinking. See, Preston is hearing things like it's time to progress forward into new ways of living and new ways of believing. Our faith needs to catch up with the times. So Preston finds himself agreeing a lot more with what he hears in the world than what he hears on a Sunday morning. And he's been sharing some of what he's learning with others in life. See, Preston 
For Preston, Jesus has been demoted. Demoted from Lord to advice giver. And that Jesus has become more of a cosmic therapist than the crucified and risen King of Kings. But in case you think progressivism only moves to the left, becoming more theologically liberal, you haven't met Preston's fellow church member, Progressive Patrick. They're all out there. Patrick has been a member for a long time. He's still very involved in the life of the church, but he's found himself over the last few years spending a whole lot of his free time consuming lots and lots of news. He's also drifted off to reading lots of conspiracy theory sites, all of which are making him more fearful and angry about where our culture is going. He started believing that the humble, sacrificial attitude of our suffering Savior is weak and isn't working. No, we need to be more forceful. We need to be more aggressive. Patrick isn't seeking wisdom from above. He's not open to reason. He's no longer peaceable or gentle. Instead, he's growing in his willingness to set aside the ethics of the kingdom of God if it means protecting his way of life. See, the problem with both directions of so-called progress is that they're both a rejection of who Jesus is and what Jesus teaches. They're actually both a form of a prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel. The belief that Jesus is here to serve me and give me what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. But brothers and sisters, progress in Christ comes about when we are anchored by Christ and to Christ. He is the anchor of our soul. And his kingdom is not of this world. Lastly, let me introduce you to new teaching Nadine. Nadine loves to read and listen to sermons and podcasts. Recently, she's been taken up by a group of teachers who, in her words, are teaching me things I've never heard before about God and the Bible. She's reading the Bible some, but she's spending more of her time reading or listening to stuff these teachers have written about or said about the Bible where they focus in on things like obscure prayers or single words or verses to ground their beliefs. Sure, no one else has taught this before. and The historical church may not agree. But man, these teachers, they say they've cracked the code. They've figured out what God really means or God really wants. They've discovered a new way to think or live. See, the problem with this, along with all these other examples I've mentioned, is they've progressed beyond the teachings of Jesus. They've moved past them. They've left part or all of the gospel behind. When that introduces confusion as they add things to the gospel or subtract things from the gospel. And that happens because I has become the arbiter of truth and authority. When that happens, everything moves to the realm of being subjective. Therefore able to be rejected when it doesn't line up with the way I want to live. See, what all of these have in common is the denial of who Jesus is and what Jesus says. They're all anti-gospel and anti-Christ. This kind of false teaching is, as one writer put it, derogatory to Christ and dangerous to the church. Now, why take the time to walk through all these examples? I want to take the time to do that because it's so subtle. It's so subtle as it starts to creep into our thinking and into the life of the church, and it's prevalent today. Listen, if you're just checking out who Jesus is, this may be a little bit confusing to you, but what I want you to hear is is that you're in a good place, a right place, because we want to be a community 
here that don't have it all right. We haven't figured everything out, but we want to introduce you to Jesus. And we want to do that not by coming at you with all kinds of different things, but by opening up his word with you to show you who Jesus really is and that he lived and died and rose again for you. But listen, if you're one of these people who are in one of these places or you're heading in one of these directions, hear me this morning, come back. Come back. You're on the edge. You're on the brink of falling off the cliff. Come back. Come back to the real and risen Jesus. He is faithful and he is true. Again, it's fine to have questions. It's fine to have doubts, but don't wander away. Let's open up God's word. Let's be attentive to God's spirit. And church, if you know one of these people, maybe it's a family member or a friend, let me encourage you to start by praying for them. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give them ears to hear and eyes to see. And then with gentleness and humility and grace, call them back to the real and risen Jesus too. So what is it that we're supposed to do with this? How are we to help one another not be taken in by false teaching and false gospels? How do we stay anchored in truth? Well, John tells us in verses 8 and verse 10. And he does so by way of warning and exhortation. Look at verse 8. John says, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Watch yourselves. This is a warning and an exhortation, and it's a call to be spiritually discerning. An area I think we can all grow in. And in this, he tells us why this matters, why this is about life and death, because we don't want to lose what we've worked for. The building up of the church, the seeking to follow after Christ. In love, John doesn't want them to wander away from a place of life into a place of death or lead others to do the same. Like I said before, there are we have to be aware of the great deceiver who will use any means necessary to lead God's people to question God. And there's a lot going on right now. There's so many inputs in our lives, YouTube, podcasts, social media, music, books, blogs. And the danger is there's a lot of things that go by the name of Christian but lack Christ in his kingdom. So how do we know what is right and true? How can we watch ourselves well, John gives us a simple test in verse 9. Do they uphold the true teachings of Jesus and of his kingdom? How can we know what those are? Because we have Jesus' words. Jesus has communicated to us who he is and who we are. We have his words, and so if we're going to be spiritually discerning, we must know Christ and we must know his word. We must be anchored in him and it in order to not wander away. All of the Bible, all of the scriptures point to our king and his kingdom. How does a young man keep his way pure? David writes in Psalm 119, by keeping it according to his word. Often we think of that as just as moral purity, but this is the purity of all of life. God's word is what guides us and grounds us and helps us to be consistent as God conforms us to the call and character of following Jesus. This is why it's so important for us to gather week in and week out, to sing songs of praise that have theologically accurate lyrics in them that point us to our God and King, to listen to sermons that are rooted in God's word that call us back to right belief and right living. It's why we have community groups and Bible studies that are focused on the word and what it means for our lives. It's why all those things are so important because they help us to grow in spiritual discernment.
as we seek to submit our lives under God's word, not above it. We also have to remember that we have the Holy Spirit, a spirit who strengthens, who equips, and who empowers us. If you and I are going to be spiritually discerning, if we are going to watch ourselves, we have to be attentive to the spirit in our lives and the lives of others. See, John says, watch yourselves, but this is not a call to stay alert alone. It's why community, it's why church membership are so important. We are committed to help one another stay anchored in truth, to help one another to stay on the path that leads to life and not veer off on a path that leads to death. Again, if you're struggling, if you're unsure, if you're confused, ask for help, ask for prayer, ask for wisdom and go to God's word. Being grounded and anchored helps you to be on guard and discern truth from error, especially when it's subtle. We need to be spiritually discerning, but we also need to guard the front and the back door of our lives. Look at verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now there's an aspect of John saying literally don't let anybody into your home. But we have to understand the context here. The church likely met in homes at this point in time. The home was the central place of life, of family and teaching. And so what he's getting at is don't let these false teachers have influence over you. Don't, don't let them into leadership or membership in your church or your home or your life. This means not only their physical presence, but in our current context, also their digital presence and their print presence. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't engage with non-Christians or those who follow other faiths. It's an exhortation to not welcome or endorse those who identify with Christ in name, but nothing else. Why? because it can lead others astray, and we don't want to be a part of their wicked works. Now, I also don't think this means that you shouldn't invite, say, a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon missionary into your home for coffee and conversation about the real and risen Jesus. It means you don't invite them into your pulpit or to lead your community group or your family devotions. You don't give them a place of prominence or influence. Now, from reading this letter, Looking at the landscape of today, we shouldn't be surprised by the propagation of false teaching and false ideas about God. The deceiver has been doing it since the beginning. We shouldn't be surprised by it, but we also shouldn't be scared of it because Jesus keeps his church. Jesus keeps his church. It may ebb and flow and size and influence in our world and culture, and that's okay because it'll never die because the gospel remains even with a remnant of faithful people. See, John ends this letter sharing his pastoral heart, his desire for personal presence, not pen and paper. And we can learn something from that. Let's sit down and open up God's word together, face to face. But he also gives us another insight. He ends the letter by saying, the children of your elect sister greet you. Another local church says hello. Say hello. Brothers and sisters, we are not alone. There are many faithful churches Right here in Northern Virginia, in the D.C. area, many faithful churches that are preaching Christ and him crucified. Kenneth prayed for one this morning. 
They're seeking to stay anchored in truth to the teachings of our king and his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. Jesus is indeed building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God, it doesn't fit nicely into a box. It doesn't acquiesce to our wants and desires. It is countercultural. And it confounds the world as it conforms those who follow Jesus to become more like him. So as we strive to be faithful to him, let us not be deceived by false teachers and teaching. And let us not give credence and support to false teachers and teaching. Instead, as a local church, a gospel-founded and grounded and shaped community who are committed to Christ and committed to one another... In humility and in love, let's help one another stay anchored in truth until he returns or calls us home. Amen.